the Lowdown Chronicles. Meet your maker. We had the honor speaking to the one and only Obey the Giant, which goes by the name of Shepard Ferry. Shepard is a true pioneer. He's an amazing artist with a rich history, a DJ with a wonderful taste in music, and runs a label called Obey. You should heard of it. Besides that, he's an amazing human being, and I really enjoyed talking to him. Have fun listening. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Staying busy. I'm fine. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Our, um, yeah, our, our business luckily can still function with, uh, working a lot of people working from home and yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, how's everything in Berlin? Yeah. We're all on remote. We all in home offices. So yeah, we on lockdown. Everything is closed except supermarkets and like pharmacies and stuff. But, um, right. The main part is shut down and it will stay till mid-February and then they will decide how to go further. But yeah, at the moment, it seems like it's getting worse and worse. I have to laugh about it because it's just a fucking nightmare since almost a year, right? So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty crazy. Um, The only thing that I'm hoping is that people understanding what it requires to adapt um, quickly and the stresses that that creates, that maybe they'll want to avoid that with climate change and think about how to do it more gradually. Yeah. That might be too much thinking for a lot of people. You know, I have my, my faith in people is a bit shaken. Um, You know, if you look at U.S. politics, it's pretty embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> can we talk about politics? Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, Shep, for someone who is deeply rooted in politics and activism and humanity, I mean, the last four years under Trump administration must have like felt like a never-ending nightmare. Or, I yeah, I, I, you know, I, I thought, um, I thought it would be bad, and it was way worse than I thought it could be. <laughs> so, um, the, you know, in in some ways, I think that there's um, there's been a benefit to people who have a conscience have um, have really been forced to wake up because they realize that unless you push things in the right direction, that um, the people who have either been manipulated into pushing things in the wrong direction um, or the people who um, are, you know, are, are greedy and power hungry and, um, and don't care about the rest of society, they'll keep pushing things in the wrong direction. And, and um, 
I know a lot of people who thought I never pay, uh, you know, that they would never have to pay close attention to politics and that voting didn't really matter. And now, now they have a, a different opinion about that. Of course, it's really depressing that, that Donald Trump still got 70, some 74 million votes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, part of that is, uh, <clears throat> is the way um, the media landscape works. People can curate their own reality. And, um, and, and so, um, you know, places like Facebook and, and, uh, and, and, you know, Google, Twitter, all, all, the, all the big tech, I think they're having to think about how their platforms are used and you know, it's a really tough debate between free speech and um, and and then a responsibility to truth and not inciting violence. So, yeah. um, you know, that's uh, I always thought that that democratization was a good thing. It's one of the reasons I believed in street art and still do. But what I've realized is that. Um, democratization also allows for um, a lot of people with bad ideas to, um, to use the tools of democratization for evil. <laughs> so, you know, there's, um, I think a lot of the people that were the architects of, of, you know, the internet and social media had a much more utopian view of how this technology would um, would play out in the hands of, of humans. But um, I'm, you know, what I do is I try to adapt. I just try to look at what the, what the basic, um, what the basic problems are and then use the tools available. And sometimes I'm, I might be using the very tools I'm criticizing um, to find solutions to the problems with those tools. Like, you know, I have problems with aspects of social media, but I use social media. I have aspect, uh, problems with aspects of capitalism, but I work within capitalism. And um, so, you know, how to just communicate clearly, but also be realistic about um, some of the framework that I don't have immediate control over, but that I can use to communicate about how I'd like to see things evolve in the future. You know, um, it, it's 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 not always easy, but I'm I'm highly motivated by problems to solve and challenges in the world, and there's still plenty of those now that Trump is out of office. How do? What's your hope for the next four years? Uh, I, would you say that someone like Kamala Harris, in particular, could easily become a symbol for for a new kind of hope? Yeah, I think, I think Kamala Harris being the vice president is a really great symbolic step forward. There are a lot of progressives that don't think that she's, um, you know, the ideal symbol of um, racial diversity or, or uh, you know, or feminism um, or, uh, you know, being progressive. But um, I still think she's an important symbol. And I think that she... I. Th I think that she will actually try to move things in the right direction, as will um, as will Joe Biden. Um, but that's all dependent on how much pressure progressives continue to place on them. But 
the communication I've seen just in the, you know, the few days since the inauguration has been really uh, reassuring and um, hopeful. And also some of the executive orders that Biden has already done, returning to the, the Paris Climate Accord, um, stopping the Keystone Pipeline, allowing transgender people to be in the military again, um, the, the uh, stopping family separations at the border. You know, there are a lot of things that, that um, are immediately taking place that, to be things that Trump did that, that Biden is undoing, which are good, but, um, but it's, it's not just undoing the bad that Trump did. Yeah. It's a lot, there's a lot more work to do. But I do think that Kamala Harris is, um, is really exciting. Um, you know, if, if the Biden presidency goes well, then she will be positioned to be the leader of the party after, um, you know, after he serves one or two terms. And um, yeah, I mean, Hillary Clinton should have been the president four years ago. Sexism was the only reason. She was experienced, her policy positions reflected more of what the country wanted. I think that sexism was a major factor there. And, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed of that um, as a, a, you know, as a, as a, a man that um, thinks that things should be equal. I'm ashamed, but, um, but, you know, that's the, 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 uh, you know, the complex uh, overlap of, of racism, sexism, classism, um, you know, they're, they're, they're all still big problems to deal with. And, and when, you know, I see people writing things like, oh, you know, the, you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a post-racial society because of, because Barack Obama was elected president. I'm just, I'm embarrassed for how naive they are. Um, it doesn't mean everybody struggles with problems, you know, but those problems are all compounded by the biases based on, you know, race and, uh, race and sex and, and, and social class economic means. So, uh, yeah, I'm, um, I, I'm always looking at how to target, um, a lot of those things in my work without, um, you know, without creating something that divides people, but, um, you know, I want to be on the right side of, uh, I want to be on the right side of history. Yeah. It's funny. And talking about shame, I, I talked to, uh, um, Kelly Thornhill DeWitt, maybe you know him. I know who yeah. Kelly DeWitt is, but I don't, I don't know Kelly. Yeah, yeah, I know him. And uh, we uh, had a chat uh, on um, via Zoom as well, right before the Capitol was stormed that day. And mm -hmm. he was sitting outside in his LA home. And then, yeah, then it happened. I, I mean, How did you experience the storming of the Capitol? Were you glued to the television like so many others or? Uh, I was in my studio working. I was watching TV at home, watching the news before I left to go to the studio. And that was at the time when Trump was just um, speaking to the crowd. And the crowd was only about 2,500 people. But all the right wing media was saying, oh, it's going to be millions of people. And so it looked really pathetic to me. But then when a couple thousand people go to the Capitol and storm it, that's actually a lot of people 
um, you know, committing an insurgency. And, and, um, and of course, what, um, what I was so uh, uh, struck by was when the racial justice protests were happening in Washington, D.C., the, the, you know, the National Guard and heavily armed military forces were and police were everywhere. Yeah. But then there was no such um, preparation for white nationalists and uh, and, and um, you know, the 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 Trump crowd at um, at the Capitol, even though Trump had been inciting these people for weeks and there was tons of evidence on social media that there would be an organized attempt at blocking the election result. And, and so um, when you look at the racism within even law enforcement too, and you know, it's a top down thing. There were a lot of law enforcement people that were actually um, taking pictures with the, um, the Trump supporters as they, as they breached the Capitol. So I think this, um, you know, this, this racism and, 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 um, and tribalism that's happening in our politics is, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a cancer that's got to be cut out, but it's not going to be an easy process. So, you know, what, what, I, what I looked at that day, of course, I was horrified, but I also thought this is the sort of thing I've been predicting with, with Trump, that this is going to get really ugly. And people would say to me, no, this guy's just sort of, um, you know, he's all about bluster, but, um, and people know, they just, they like that he has an aggressive style, but it's not really going to turn into anything dangerous. Well, you know, there you have the result. And, and <laughs> yeah. you know, I, 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 I hate to say I told you so when people lost their lives, but I, I felt as I watched it that this was easy to predict and I told you so. Okay, yeah. So let's hope the best for the future. I'm, I'm really like we here in Berlin and uh, all the guys at Lowdown related to streetwear and having friends in the US, we, 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 we feel with you and um, hope the best for, for, yeah, for thank all you. our friends there. I and, mean, you know, I can see you at the moment and I see your bookshelf um, because we're on Zoom for all the listeners later. And I see your T-shirt. So let's talk about something else and maybe more funnier and interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, your T-shirt and uh, this punk book in the back in your bookshelf brings me to another question. How uh, many, uh, like Obey did so many capsule collections with brands and you've done some iconic artworks with such as Bad Brains or Blondie, Misfits, As diverse as they might, it might sound, they're all deeply rooted in, in like a, in the musical underground of their time. And I guess a lot of is really, of these collabs is really particular cherry picked by yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's all based on stuff that I've been passionate about for the majority of my life. And, um, you know, th there's, um, There's an interesting thing with, with streetwear. I always have loved streetwear as, as sort of a, um, you know, and a little bit of a, a beacon of, of underground culture, uh, uh, you know, that, that can have a lot of strands coming in, whether it's, 
you know, skateboarding, punk rock, graffiti and street art, hip hop. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things that fuel streetwear. But who I am was largely shaped by punk rock and skateboarding. And then, and then later on, hip hop like uh, Public Enemy and um, the Beastie Boys, Run DMC, uh, Slick Rick, that first, that first golden era of hip hop. Um, but the collaborations that we've done with, uh, with Bad Brains, Blondies, Suicidal Tendencies, um, The Misfits, those are all based on um, bands that were hugely important to me, um, which, you know, they all have an audience, but I know that, you know, younger people frequently are, they're up on new, newer stuff, but um, if it's an opportunity to share a bit of, um, you know, my history and, and uh, you know, have the band's fans and the fans of my artwork you know, uh, cross pollinate as well as introduce younger people to the bands that might not know them. That's a super exciting thing. And you know, there there are there are brands that work with existing entities, whether it's licensing from a band or from a cartoon or whatever, and and they basically just um, repackage that stuff. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find a way to truly collaborate with all these bands where. Obviously, I'm going to take their, um, you know, their visual history and and their and their visual legacy into account when I'm working on what I do. But to me, there's no point in a, in doing a collaboration unless it's a genuine collaboration, and that I get to bring some of what I'm known for. I'm 30 years deep on this stuff now, too. So you know, it's like um, the 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 DNA of of my history mixed with the DNA of their history. I think um, you know it's 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 two things that already have an audience, and then and then in, you know a new thing that might cross over one way or the other, and uh, you know that's 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 pretty exciting for me. It, it, I put a lot of a lot of time and energy into it, and everybody from Obey Clothing, um, they really care about it too. I couldn't, you know, it's not just me doing everything by myself when it comes to choosing, like you know the coach's jacket or the right sweatshirt or the right hat that has the connection to the culture of Venice beach from suicidal tendencies or the New Jersey gas station jacket for the misfits, all those things we're, we're considering really carefully so that it has an, a nod to history while still moving into the future. Yeah. I have to shout out my, uh, my homie, um, Mike Konofsky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mike, Mike and I, um, I'm a little bit older than Mike, but Mike has so many of the same influences. Um, so, you know, when, when Mike and I work on things, it's, uh, it's really natural how it comes together. And, um, you know, Mike is also super plugged into contemporary streetwear culture and is always giving me sort of... Um, you know, the, the updates from the front lines. And so that, you know, as I'm working on new things, I get to, you know, I, I get to try to filter some of um, what's going on in streetwear into my sensibility. And that, you know, that's the way it's all, always been. When I was, um, when I was young and I first got into making t-shirts, I would look frequently at what was going on with brands I liked, whether it was Fresh Jive or Stussy or, 
you know, what, what World Industry Skateboards was doing. And I would look at how I could make sure that people would see that it was, uh, you know, it was like a, a, you know, a nod and a wink to the fans of those brands, but I'm bringing my own thing to the equation with what I was doing, but it was sort of like, um, Hey, we're all, we're all in this mix, you know? And, and so, um, even when we're doing these collaborations with older bands, there's always a desire to bring, to bring in some of what's going on currently. And that's, um, you know, to me, to me, there's no um, point doing it any other way because all those bands already have their merch that's sort of, um, if you liked them in 1981, then, you know, then you'll be familiar with that. And, uh, you know, but, but why not, um, why not keep, keep it a living organism? You know what I mean? Yeah. How many of those bands you have seen live in their very heydays? Well, I saw Bad Brains in, in the 80s. I did not see, the Misfits were broken up, but I saw Danzig on his very first solo tour. Um, I saw Suicidal Tendencies back in the, in the late 80s. I, um, I saw, um, I didn't get to see Blondie until, uh, you know, until like maybe 12 years ago. But um, I mean, Blondie still put on a, kill, a killer show. But um, they, you know, they were broken up from for from the the early '80s until the late '90s. So um, you know, there was no opportunity. I, I mean, I don't. Uh, I, you know, I've gone to see Black Sabbath about um, probably 15 plus times, and I got to do the um, the the main tour shirt for their last for their final tour. Um, I don't, when it comes to music, I don't screw around. If it's a band I like, I go see them whenever I have the opportunity. Um, I've seen the Melvins a ton of times, you know, um, um, Public Enemy I've seen many, many, many times, including long time ago. But um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, it's uh, there are bands that I didn't discover until they were after their heyday, like Gang of Four, I didn't discover until, the, uh, you know, like maybe 2001 or two. And um, but then luckily they reformed in 2004 and I got to do a seven inch design for them. And I got to see them a bunch of times and original lineup. Um, yeah, mu music is probably as crucial, a, a, you know, a creative inspiration for me as as art, because music is really democratic and it's operating in a way that, um, you know, you've got the music itself drawing people in, then you've got the lyrics that make people think, then you've got the lifestyles of the musicians. It's, um, you know, it, it's got a lot of cool shit going on. And um, a lot of art feels um, maybe a little bit, uh, a little bit too elite and, um, and, and stuffy and like, you, you know, you're in a library, shh, you know, it's, um, I want to, I want to, I want art to function more the way that music does. And, uh, and streetwear is like, um, streetwear is like music culture, uh, you know, uh, with clothing in a lot of ways, you know, like you go, you go to a new, um, you go out and you're checking out what the DJ is playing or what the band is up to. And you can tell a lot by the, the you know, the gear that the, that the crowd is in. It all, it all fits together. Would you, so I, uh, I have goosebumps when you 
talking about all those bands, which I'm a fan of, of course, as well. And um, do you have like any, do you made it to CBGB or the Roxy? Do you have any like, I mean, you, you have, this is like the past, the very, very past. And this is a, I, iconic clubs as well in LA and on the West Coast, right? Yeah, I went, I went to several shows at, at, at CBGB's um, back in the day. Um, I, I saw uh, the, the John Spencer Blues explosion at CBGB's. Um, I, I, um, I saw um, Lords of Brooklyn, their hip hop group there. I mean, um, it, and, and also the, I mean, there's the Roxy from, from London, which I never went to, but the, the LA Roxy I, I've seen, um, yeah, uh, Billy Idol, Jello Biafra, Off, um, Gang of Four, tons, tons of great shows at the Roxy. Um, and anywhere you're standing at the Roxy, you're 20 feet from the stage. It's a small venue. Um, I've DJed at the Roxy. So I, you know, I've been really lucky. Living in LA, there's so much good music all the time um, in, in LA. It's And then, you know, where I grew up in South Carolina, the only band that was cool that ever came through was the Circle Jerks. But then I moved for college to um, Rhode Island and Providence, Rhode Island is right between Boston and New York. So every every band touring the Northeast would go through Providence. So I saw Bad Brains where they filmed the Eye Against Eye video at, at the living room in Providence. Wow, wow. And would you say you have taken your inspiration all out of skateboarding and through friends or do you had an older brother? Maybe your father was like into the same like rock and roll vibe and stuff? <laughs> no, my, my parents had, um, you know, Barbara Streisand, the Bee Gees and, 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 you know, a few Beatles records. And I love the Beatles, but, um, but no, my, my parents were not the source of, of inspiration for any of that stuff. Um, luckily, Luckily, I always liked uh, to listen to the radio. I was obsessed with listening to the radio, which most of it was garbage. But every now and then there would be Joan Jett, Blondie, The Cars, Devo, that would make it on Top 40 radio, The Go-Go's, um, you know, some Rolling Stones stuff. And then um, when I got into skateboarding and punk rock, immediately that went with, that went with punk and hardcore. So Agent Orange, Black Flag, The Sex Pistols, um, The, uh, the, mis the Misfits, Minor Threat, Bad Brains, um, it, all of that, uh, Dead Kennedys, it was just, you know, I just grabbed onto it instantly. I, growing up in South Carolina where it was preppy and conservative, I was frustrated, but I didn't have anything that seemed like the alternate universe to the shitty universe I was in. And then punk rock and skateboarding were just like, ah, the oasis in the desert. Now I've got it. And, and so, um, you know, in, in a way, the, the, that it wasn't easy to get a hold of, of punk albums. I started making my own T-shirts because you couldn't go out and buy them. Like, how lucky am I that I wasn't in a place with, uh, you know, the record store with cool T-shirts where I could be lazy about it and shoplift them or, or buy them. Um, And to actually get out, you know, an exacto and cut stencils for Sex Pistols shirts and Husker Du shirts and all that. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, once I latched on to that stuff, I, I just tried to get my hands on everything. 
anything I could read about. You know, you're talking about books back here. It was really hard to find any literature. So, um, you know, I remember there, I, I found in a bookshop, a book about the Sex Pistols. And, and you know, that, that was just like me getting a, a, you know, a major, major fix from, from reading about that and loving the music, but wanting to know the stories behind it. Any culture that I've been into, whether it's music or skateboarding, I always want to, I always want to know what's driving the people. And, you know, some, some of the people are really amazing. You know, Henry Rollins, that guy's a guy who's lived like five lives more than most people because he's been the front person for Black Flag, a spoken word person, an author, a radio show host. You know, when I, when I get to explore um, someone's output like Henry Rollins, I just think like, yeah, that's where it's at. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. So the fact that Henry and I are pretty good friends is, um, yeah, is very validating for me because I think he sets the bar really high as someone who doesn't waste a second of his life. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you, you set the bar really high with you, what you're doing and everything you do. So, um, but um, thanks. Um, what's currently blasting to, through your speakers? What would you say? What you're listening to currently? Any favorite bands? Um, well, I, I like the new... Um, the new Corky album, which is, uh, which is Ian from, um, you know, Fugazi and Minor Threat and Brendan um, from Fugazi and then Ian's wife, Amy. I think that record is really good. Um, what else have I been listening to? Um, Paul from Interpol has a new band called Muzz and it's fairly mellow, but I think it's really beautiful. I like that album a lot. Um, uh, I've been... Sometimes I go back to things that I kind of forgot about and um, and then I just binge on them for a little while. So I've been binging on uh, ARE Weapons. Do you know who they are? Um, um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, ARE Weapons. Um, and then, you know, stuff that's connected to them like Suicide, I've been listening to a lot. And then um, what else? Oh, um, I interviewed uh, Pusshead recently and it reminded me how much I loved the Prong album, Beg to Differ, that he did the cover for. And um, it's a very, very smart lyrically. It's like a metal record and, and heavy metal isn't known for being the most, um, for being the, 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 you know, the most intellectual genre. But, um, but that Prong album is really good. And um, Tommy Victor, the singer of Prong, used to, used to be the sound guy at CBGB's. Um, Steph, what else have we been listening to? I mentioned um, Prong, uh, Airy Weapons, Muzz, Corky. I feel like there's some other new stuff. Oh yeah, I know. The, um, the Kills just put out a, uh, a B-Sides and Rarities record and that's got, that's got a lot of really cool stuff on it that I hadn't heard that should have been on maybe some of their other albums, but it's, it's great to, um, you know, to have something new to listen to from them. Yeah. I'm, I agree totally. I, I love Prong and the new kills. One is a super good record. Super good. I really like it as well. 
Yeah. What about, what about you? What else, what else should I be looking out for? I want to, um, I, I always need, uh, I do stuff a lot of like, I'm not like, I'm really searching for, I mean, Crookie was a really, really good, um, recommendation of yours. I have to listen to it because Ian Fugasi and Minor Fred is like one of my favorite bands. Um, yeah. Then um, Sven, our editor-in-chief from Lowdown, he, he creates me insane playlists. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm all about indie, rock and roll, heavy metal. And yeah. that's, that's my thing. Uh, Hip-hop, but before 2000, everything before 2000. I'm an old guy yeah, me too. as well. Like I'm 41, but it's between old and young. And uh, but I I'm a skateboarder, uh, grew up with skateboarding as well, and like um, hip hop and heavy metal like uh, influenced me so much back in the day, and now I started running again. So uh, mentioning Pashet, I'm listening a lot of Metallica, old Ride the Lightning and Kill 'Em All stuff for running because it's pushing me so far. Uh, which is great. Yeah. And I love uh, also uh, Masters of Puppets, Damage Incorporated. It's a great song. Um, I love this song. There's a skateboard park with Ricky Oyola from Eastern. Yeah, Exposure. from uh, Eastern Exposure. Yeah, amazing. I love yeah, this part. I can it's still one of the best parts ever. The way he's using all the natural obstacles in the street with that song. I like I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps right now. It's in, it's such a good part. I got to rewatch that part. Thanks for reminding me about that. Yeah, and there is um, a new uh, a new video from Traffic. I think it's it's uh, Ricky's company. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to to look at it on Trasher. There's a new Traffic video. Amazing song selection. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, yeah. It's 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 cool. I mean, Ricky Oyola is one of my heroes. I love that part. I love like the East Coast skateboarding back in the day more because it was kind of roughy. Yeah. Uh, then yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, the, um, yeah, that that's one of the classic parts of, of all time. But yeah, the way a lot of the East Coast skaters used the natural street obstacles because there weren't the skate parks, so it was just part of what was required. But that's always been one of my favorite things about uh, skateboarding that I also um, applied to street art. You know, when, when people say like, oh, you know, how did skateboarding impact you as a street artist? It's that eye to look at how to use the landscape in a way other than what it's intended for. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it's very, very similar philosophically. Oh, another band that... Um, I should mention they um, they're about to come out with an album, but they got me to do um, a seven inch design for them and um, a little music project that I have called noise. We did a remix of one of their songs. It's this band called Revo out of um, out of the UK. They're based in Bristol and they're all kind of um, it's R E E dash V O. Um, you know, it's sort of um, like if you mixed the classic Bristol sound of Portishead and, and, um, uh, the, you know, and tricky and, um, but then updated that with a little bit of, um, a little bit of the grime sound. Um, it's, it's, it's cool. I really like it. There's, there hasn't been a tough, a ton of, um, you know, rhyme and, and beat 
oriented stuff that I've been really excited about recently, but that's, that's a good record. Yeah. And I, I got into Bandcamp, I have to mention, because I find out when you're buying a, I bought a, some punk band seven inch, I, I bought the MP3s actually, because I want to support him. And then they sent me uh, their seven inch, which is like a 200 limited seven inch from a super little punk band from uh, Australia. This is, this is insane. I think this is very, very cool. So I, I start crate digging at uh, Bandcamp recently. Nice. Yeah. Would yeah, I wish say, I had time. Would you say that, which brings me to a question, would you say that the internet basically killed subcultures like crate digging and stuff like that because like now everything is available 24/7 well you know the the uh i started djing right before serato became what all the djs used uh, and and i'm a big fan of people like dj shadow who's a major crate digger and um, that idea of, of doing, putting the extra work in to have a record that not every DJ can play, I think was a really exciting part of the art of DJing. I don't think the internet is, has killed those things. It's just made some people lazier. I think that, you know, this is, this is the, the deal with the internet that, um, If you're the type of person that's going to work hard to make what you do special, it just gives you more tools. If you're the kind of person that's okay with what's easy and just good enough, then um, it's maybe going to make you even lazier. <laughs> so, um, but I do, you know, I do think that when it comes to how um, different scenes cultivate the best, you know, cultivate culture, Cult culture is the product of cultivation. Um, that if you're a part of a scene and you want to be authentic to that scene, if part of the ethos of that scene is going out and finding hard to find records and learning about the best places to support that, you know, that supply those things and how you can maintain that ecosystem in a healthy way. I think that's a good culture to be part of. Being like, okay, let me look up on the internet what um, what's crushing it, um, it, you know, as far as the dance scene or the electronic scene goes. Okay, I got to grab these tracks. Okay, now I'm going to go in and and my my tractor software will beat sync all those things without me having to even learn how to do it. That's kind of that's kind of sad. That's taking part of what's I think meaningful um, out of the culture, but. You know, I, I uh, everything that I've ever undertaken was stuff that people said, don't do that. It's impossible to make money with that. And it's and that scene's full of haters and um, you're going to be miserable. And I've done it anyway. So <laughs> streetwear is full of haters. Street art is full of haters. Skateboarding is full of haters. Owning a gallery, it's almost impossible to make money selling art. And yet uh, you tell me I can't do it and I'm going to try to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Skateboard is, I, 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 I find out my, I, I recognize sometimes I'm a hater by myself. I think skateboarding mm. formed me. <laughs> so, 
Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when I say it's full of haters, I don't mean that excludes me. As I've gotten older, I've tried to become more constructive about how how I hate on things like like, hey, you know, I think this is better than this. And here are the reasons why, rather than just, um, you know, uh, just being an asshole. But um, but, you know, there are a lot of people that are not discerning enough. I think all these cultures are full of people who actually really, really take the creators to task with what they're doing. And, um, and that's why they always are leaders. They're, 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 they're cultures that don't pander to the lowest common denominator. So maybe they're not the most successful economically, but they're leaders about predicting what will be successful in watered down form later. Yeah. How did you get into skateboarding? I got really lucky that a friend of mine who um, had gotten a skateboard just left it over at my house. He sort of lost interest. And um, this was late 1983. And um, I just started tic-tacking around in my driveway and um, I progressed fairly quickly. It was a, um, it was a uh, Santa Cruz, Dwayne Peters. And, um, and, and, I had so much fun. I said, you know, I, I wanted to get a skateboard and a lot of people had gotten skateboards like a year before that. And they said to me like, why would you get a skateboard now? It's already going out of style. And, um, and I said, well, I don't care. I like it. So um, my mom said skateboards are expensive. It was like $120 for a, for a complete setup, probably about the same price it is now. And that was 35 years ago. Um, so, um, my mom said, I'm not going to get you a skateboard unless you earn half the money. And she thought I would never earn the money, but I went and I mowed lawns and, um, you know, did other chores to earn the money. And, um, we had to drive 30 minutes from where I lived to a skate surf shop. But luckily when I got there, it happened to be the very day that they got their shipment of the skate visions video from vision with uh with gator and lester and jeff phillips and um the soundtrack was by agent orange so while i'm picking out my components and setting up my board they're playing on the vcr on the little tv in the skate shop surf shop was agent orange and this one of the very first skate videos i think that came out barely after the bones brigade video show the very first skate vi video really um and so immediately I loved the music. It was like the soundtrack to my new life. You know what I mean? And um, so I, I, you know, I called all these record stores in Charleston and asked them if they had Agent Orange. None of them had it. My parents said, Agent Orange, what is that? Is that punk music? I said, oh no, no, no. That is new wave music, which, because my parents already knew some people that were older that were into punk that were, you know, smoked weed and um, got in trouble, so they didn't want me into punk music. But I knew that I could, I could sort of sidestep that by just classifying it as new wave. But they didn't. Um, nobody had it, so I just rented the video, and um, and then like you know plugged it up to my to the stereo and recorded the audio off of that um, off of that VHS tape for Skate Visions. So. You know, my recollection of all that Agent Orange music also has the interludes with um, Gator saying stuff like, 
Lester, man, come on, you got to get with it. Let's go skating when he's um when he's break dancing. And um, Mark, did you clean your room and make your bed? Sure, yeah, sure. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was so awesome. But uh, but you know, then I actually linked up with some of the other skateboarders that weren't into it just because it was a fad and. There was a guy, Blaze Bluen, who was the only pro skateboarder to come out of Charleston, who used to be on GNS. He's, he's dead now, but um, he had a vert ramp, a 24 foot wide, um, nine foot high vert ramp. And so, you know, I, I went over there and it was called the Rasta ramp. They were playing Bob Marley and Ika Mouse and, and um, you know, Peter Tosh and all, you know, Yellow Man, all this music. I'd never heard reggae music. And so, um, while I was there watching everybody skate, I waited until they all got tired right as it was getting dark. And I went out and I started faking on the ramp and I got to where I could fakey up pretty close to the coping first day I ever went there. But then I also thought that music, I got to find some of that music. So I went to the record store and in the, the, the ramp was called the Rasta ramp. And then in the lyrics of a lot of the, the reggae was, was the word Rasta. So I just went to the record store and the first record I saw was Bob Marley's Rasta Man Vibrations. I didn't know who Bob Marley was. I was like, <laughs> all right, I guess I'll try that out. It ends up being like one of the best reggae albums ever made. Ever. And that was, my, that was just like my shot in the dark. I picked that record. So, you know, I mean, skateboarding's introduced me to so much stuff that has shaped my life. It's, uh, you know, I, when, I did a, when I did a collaboration with DC Shoes back in, in um in 2000 and they were like, yeah, we want to put a little bit of text on the, on the bottom of the box, sort of like, you know, the, the, like what, what's etched into the negative space of a seven inch or a record. Like what, you know, what do you want? Uh, I was like, skateboarding and punk rock saved my life. That's the text I want. I have them. <laughs> nice. Box fresh, box fresh. I used to work for DC a little bit back in days. So ah. I have your sneakers, of course, your skate shoes. And I yeah, love Damon, Damon Way. Damon Way has been a friend for a long time. He was an early supporter of my of my art when I was broke. And um, I'm always going to be grateful to him for being such an awesome guy. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at uh, from what they have done for skateboarding and with the DC super team, which they had in the uh, past with all those guys, Carol, Johnston, Huff, um, yeah. all those guys, amazing team, Colin and Danny, of course. So, yeah, amazing. So, Josh Kalis. Yeah, Josh Kalis and Stevie Williams, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I love the definition you said, like having a new life. This is actually, I can um, speak for myself, when you tap into skateboarding and start skateboarding, then you tap into new you life and then continues to this very, very day now. So it, it, it will never get lost. I mean, I have a few people, friends who are not more into skateboarding, but it definitely shaped their way of thinking and how they dress and behave and how they see the world. It's like skateboarding, is the best thing a kid uh, could happen, I would say. I, I completely agree. Um, I don't really skate much now. My, both of my daughters have skated a little bit and I've had fun skating with them, but um, it's mostly, I just don't have time. Um, you know, I, I work seven days a week and 
Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter because skateboarding is just part of who I am now that, that mentality it's, you know, once you, you go in deep, it's, it's with you forever. Yeah, exactly. And when you started like with your stickers, uh, Andrew and Obey putting that on t-shirts, do you drew your inspiration from the skateboarding culture back then? Oh yeah, completely. The way that skate brands were always promoting with, uh, you know, with stickers and um, you'd go to the ramp and there would be a stencil on the, on the ramp. Um, it, you know, all of skateboard culture was a major, major force. The way that um, I worked for a small brand called jobless anti-workwear in, in Providence um, around the same time I made the original Andre sticker. And I watched how, you know, they would send out promo packs and, um, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, I love skateboarding. Um, this is my art here. Art is what I want to do for a living to use all the different techniques that went with skateboard promotion. The other thing was, was punk rock, you know, uh, bands putting up flyers, making stickers, making t-shirts. It was, it was the fusion of those two things, but, um, but, you know, skateboarding, you'd always go on, uh, road trips to look for spots. I'd go on road trips to look for, uh, to get, you know, to go put up street art and, and then, you know, take my skateboard with me. It's, it was all, it was all, uh, woven together. And, um, and skateboarders are, re are really cool about if they, if something's underground, but they think it's got the right spirit, they'll transmit it, they'll share it. And so, you know, my, my stickers, that was the network, really skateboarders were the network. And the two places I ran ads when I was, when I first started, when I was broke were, um, flip side, the punk, the punk zine. Um, and I did maximum rock and roll also, but maximum rock and roll, um, rejected my second ad because they realized I wasn't a label or a band. And they were like, this isn't what we're doing. They were sort of dogmatic, but, um, and then the other was slap slap would allow you to have small black and white ads for 50 bucks. Wow. Back. And wow. so, um, Yeah. So what I would do is I would just make these little black and white ads and, um, you know, send them in my check for 50 bucks. And it would say, um, you know, send a self-addressed stamped envelope for stickers in the lowdown. Yeah, I have to mention you as your long life supporter from Lowdown Magazine. Thanks for that, Shepard. This is uh, really amazing. Always, always on our side, a trustworthy supporter and uh, one of the greatest brands we have out there. Yeah, well, I've, I've always been a big fan, um, you know, since uh, I think it was it was 97, maybe when, um, when I first did a project with Lowdown. Yeah, crazy. right? It, it got <laughs> 25 years old, 2020. So 95 is the starting year for Lowdown. Yeah, yeah. it's around. Uh, I was always really impressed with the design. Um, yeah, it, it's uh There's always some decent design in lifestyle magazines and skateboard magazines, but to see that there was a fluency in the, in the art and design between, you know, skateboarding, graffiti, music, all those things. I mean, Lowdown, when I first saw it, I thought this is, this is maybe one of the best magazines that's ever been created. That's, um, You know, there's nobody, nobody else that's got these subcultural things 
so authentically represented in one publication. I'm not just saying that because we're, we're working together. I mean, that was, that was my legitimate feeling. Yeah. Thanks. And I, I have to say, um, Obey one, like having them around and considered being like the streetwear veterans nowadays and forming that culture, maybe forming that, the term streetwear. I mean, back in the days, there was no term streetwear. I, I remember going, like seeing the first trade shows, I don't know, around maybe it was 2000 some, some-ish. And then the term streetwear came up. So it was like, it was even, it was like skateboard clothing or fashion or something, but streetwear right. wasn't like a, a really term back then, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, um, there were a couple of companies that existed that were operating in that zone, but um, it really, I don't, I don't think it was until, yeah, around, probably around 2000. And that was when um, Obey Clothing, I had always made t-shirts and done clothing prior to that, but I started working with my current partners in 2000. And, um, but we had, we had people that we looked up to, like when, um, you know, there was, there was Stussy, there was Fresh Jive, there was, um, it was short-lived, but it was Futura's brand with um, with Gerb and Stash called GFS, which was Gerb Futura Stash, guaranteed fresh smoke. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, then then uh, then Stash did Subwear. Hayes had had his line, but that was all. That was sort of sitting in the in the graffiti zone, but with also some you know some streetwear. But uh, you know, we 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 felt like what we were doing was following their, following their model, but also, um, you know, trying to push it even further. Yeah. When did you recognize that it feels like the right time to turn your whole thing into a brand? Like, well, I made, I made t-shirts and sold t-shirts from the first week that I made the original Andre sticker in 89, but I just didn't have the, um, I didn't have the business sense to do it really well. So when I, while I had my screen printing business in Providence, Rhode Island, um, I made my own t-shirt designs and tried to sell them to skate shops and boutiques, but I wasn't very good at it. But the, my, my idea when, you know, a lot of people got to know my, my street art because I was such a um, prolific bomber that they thought when they saw the clothing that I was trying to, capitalize on my, my street cred, but I had actually been making streetwear the whole time. I just hadn't been doing a very good job at it. And um, because to me, the, um, my work's always been about uh, an accessible cultural language with the work. So whether that's street art where people just see it where they live or it's on clothing, which to me was as legitimate a canvas as a canvas in a gallery. Um, those were all just different platforms. And that was the kind of stuff that uh, I wore. It was the kind of stuff the people wore that I hung out with. So it's just a, a natural thing. It was just, you know, people use the term lifestyle, but it really was like, that was my lifestyle. It still is. So it made sense to do it and to try to, um, to try to do it well. The, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't like half-stepping 
when I got with my partners that I work with now, um, they brought the talents I didn't have to the equation, which left me more time to focus just on the art and design side of it. And, um, you know, Mike Chernosky has been there since, I think only about six months in after it started. And, um, you know, it's been great to, really great to have him on the, the cut and sew side as well as everybody else that's involved. But, um, you know, what I, what I saw was, this is a great way to reach a lot of people who I think are, are like-minded with my work. And, um, and, you know, there are a lot of challenges with, with, clo- with a clothing business. Some, some of which are frustrating. Sometimes what my natural inclination as an artist is, is going to, is going to work within that world with what's, what's current and, and what's um, popular in that world. Other times I'm out of step with that and I have to figure out how to find a way to have what I want to convey artistically work with the language that is, is resonating with, with the audience. So, but you know what, like Mike and I just sort of, it's, it's all, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly in motion. And, and we, you know, we, we enjoy trying to figure out how to adapt without losing um, our sense of identity or our core values in the process. And um, the, the, you know, we started off with a really heavy political conversation, but you know, when I, when I look at this sort of, um, crazy, uh, uh, the crazy beast that is trying to get a lot of people to agree on how to move the country forward and how to, how to navigate that as a, as a politician. No one politician is ever going to have all of what they'd like to do, connect with what's, um, with, with what's sort of of the moment um, in, uh, in political culture. Um, so there's a real strong connection between what I'm trying to do both in clothing and with how I make art to deal with social and political issues because it's, it's constantly adaptive. Cool. Um, how do you see the current climate of like all those micro brands that like they, I mean, they couldn't care less about trade shows and B2B routines they're like just living like an, a micro brand life, the other life, the, the new the new wave of brands. How do you see that? I'm, I'm happy for anyone who's a creative upstart that can figure out how to make, you know, some extra, some extra bucks or their entire living from doing it. Um, you know, on the, when I look at what's a challenge for us as a brand is that We can't move as quickly as a brand like that. I wish that the apparatus that's there now for, you know, Instagram, et cetera, for making something, connecting with an audience, releasing it. I wish that had been around in the 90s when I started, because that would, I, I, I suffered a lot of misery um, being, being broke and, um, and, you know, having a challenge of paying my studio rent and things like that. Um, But, uh, you know, so I'm happy for those people. But when I looked at our brand that we're, you know, we're uh, a little bit slower moving and, and, you know, a mid-sized brand, what was, what's been challenging for us is that, you know, the micro, the super hip micro brands eating away at our audience from that side. And then for a while, it was the places like 
Forever 21 and H&M fast fashion that could undercut everyone on price that were, you know, undercutting us from the other side. But I knew that those big businesses that were all based on um, battling over price and high volume, that that wasn't a sustainable model. Um, and that a lot of them are, 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 you know, are floundering now, going out of business, um, declaring bankruptcy. And, and so, um, you know, what we try to do is just make stuff that we believe in, that the, the price is, um, is fair for us to pay for um, fair, you know, fair wage um, uh, uh, fair and fair practice factories where we, you know, we have our stuff made um, to be as environmentally responsible as possible. And, um, you know, in hope that people look at like both the art and, the, and you know, and the ideas and the, the ethics of the brand and, and support it. But, you know, it's always, <laughs> you know, there's always the flack of um, either, oh, I can get that at, uh, at this place for 14 bucks. So why are you so greedy? And it's like, you know, obviously somebody is um, not earning a good wage when, when uh, something's 14 bucks. Yeah. And then the other end, there's the people that are, that say like, well, you make some of your stuff in China. So you obviously believe in sweatshop labor. Um, and, you know, you, you just have to look at all of those things and say, you know, hey, based on the realities of the world, we're trying to reconcile this with our ethics in a way that we can stand behind. And if you take a closer look and listen to us, I think you might actually appreciate what we, uh, what we consider and, and what our, you know, what our beliefs, how our beliefs align with our practices. Cool. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think your career as an artist and for Obey Clothing, you got bigger and bigger in a very organic way. So, and you mentioned like Futura and Stash, they're like this second wave of artists been around with you at the same time. And we really respect those artists here at Lowdown. But it might sound profane to ask, but I was wondering if you can pin down that very moment when you realized that things suddenly blew up for you. <laughs> um, well, the, the funny thing is that the perception of how much I'd blown up to the outsider was always more than what was actually happening for me. I was still struggling financially until, you know, the, the mid 2000s. And, um, but I was trying to project to the world that like, yeah, I got this. Um, and, um, but I think really when I realized I, I had, um, there's a couple small things when I realized I felt like I'd made it. My, my version of, of, of making it is, um, is pretty humble compared to most people's. When I could afford to rent a car when I went on bombing missions and, and also not have to sleep on someone's couch, but be able to stay in a motel, even if it was a $30 a night motel, I was like, my dream has come true. I've hit the big time. This is the life. Um, and yeah, that was in the early 2000s. And then, um, but really when I, when I sort of looked at this as like, okay, whoa, I remember going through Washington DC around Obama's inauguration and 
every every uh, every place that that sold knickknacks and clothes in the airport was selling a knockoff of the Hope poster. Mm-hmm. When I went through the streets of D.C., there were vendors with carts. There were things in every um, you know store window, boutique windows, bootleg shirts, bootleg mugs, bootleg calendars, bedazzled sweatshirts. Um, you know, to see something I'd created become such a ubiquitous phenomenon was, you know, uh, that, that was when I realized like, okay, if nothing ever connects with people again in my career, most people who were alive at this time will know that image. That's pretty surreal. That's a very surreal thing to happen. Now, I just considered that, you know, one in a, in a line of images that are trying to, that were, were and are trying to um, shape the, you know, the short-term and the long-term future for the better. And, uh, and I move on after I do stuff like that. I don't sit there and, and go, um, hey, yeah, but what about this thing I did 12 years ago? I just keep moving. So, you know, in a weird way, uh, when you're down, it's a long way up. When you're up, it's a long way down. It's all the same thing. No new tale to tell, <laughs> to quote, to quote yeah. Love and Rockets. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, do people recognize you on the street? Um, sometimes, yeah. yeah. And, and um, you know, I usually usually I really appreciate it when people come up and say, Hey, you know, I like, you know, I like your work and, um, and I want to hear their stories about how they first encountered it. And, um, I have all my theories about, you know, how my work, the way I, my vision of how I would put it into the world, how it might impact people. And then when I hear stories that sort of affirm what I hoped, it's, it's the best feeling. Um, but then on the other hand, sometimes I'm out at dinner with my family and somebody comes up and is like, Hey, you know, can I get a selfie with you while I'm trying to, you know, take a bite of my salad or whatever. And it's a little bit rude. This, you know, the way that social media has given everyone a sense of entitlement to just barge into your life. Um, it's so, it's so bizarre. Uh, but you know, When, whenever my wife complains about that, I, I say, you know, look, the other, um, I suffered from the opposite problem for a long time, which was indifference. And I was desperate for people to care. So, so if this is the, if this is the worst side of people caring other than like, you know, the usual, um, internet mudslinging and, and hate, um, which anybody that creates anything and, and actually has the audacity to share it with the world is going to encounter, um, Yeah, you know, I'm. These are these are high class problems to have. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask this, but your wife was always like on your side from the ups and downs. So she knows your whole involvement, uh, involvement. Yeah, yeah. My my wife's um been really amazing. She's you know she's a partner, a supporter. I I've made a lot of illustrations of her. Um, She's, um, I get her opinion on everything I'm doing. She has really, she has really a really good eye. She's got good taste and she's, um, she's not afraid to be blunt about what she likes and doesn't like. So, um, and, and she's bailed me out of jail a lot 
so um, that's uh, that's nice of her. A lot of people wouldn't um, wouldn't be that into that. So she understands. She believes in what I'm doing, and she she wants me to be careful. But she also understands that there's there's risks, and that um, she she understands that a lot of the reason that um, the, uh, the 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 dark forces of power that have that oppress people are able to get away with it is that a lot of people don't have the courage to stand up for what they believe in. So, um, so she can separate, you know, that yes, she doesn't like the inconvenience of me being arrested or the, or the danger to my life because I'm diabetic and the cops don't give me my insulin sometimes, um, with understanding the importance of the greater principles at stake. And I, I love her for that. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a good end, I think. And I thank you very, very much for your time. And I wish you all the best. And especially during these times uh, for your family and for your daughters as well. And it was such a pleasure speaking to you, Shepard. Yeah, you too, Marcus. Um, I, uh, you know, love, love Lowdown. Happy always to be able to, um, connect and and uh and i appreciate i appreciate being uh being featured um yeah i i think that uh 25 plus years for a magazine is really impressive and um and yeah you know, i i'm happy that i i think that obey as a brand and and um and uh me as an artist that um Yeah, there's still some relevance there. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's good to have both um, that idealism and that, um, that history with perspective. The combination of, um, you know, of, of energy, idealism and perspective is, 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 uh, is pretty powerful. So um, yeah, you guys keep up, uh, keep up what you're doing. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chef. All right, take care.